Well, happy Father's Day, Exchange Church. Come on, celebrate all the dads. You are amazing. I love Father's Day at the Exchange Church because on Father's Day at the Exchange Church, there is one guarantee. Uh, the strong, resilient, brave, courageous dads that attend this church are usually in the room. They've brought their families here, and I just want to celebrate you. I'm so excited uh, just to do life with you and kind of do family alongside all of you. I think you are incredible. You know what today is? Yes? No. Today is a good day to renew my mind, to encourage my soul, to align with truth, and to awaken and develop purpose. I'll say that again. Today, Ryan, Caleb, today is a good day to renew my mind, to encourage my soul, to align with truth, and to awaken and develop purpose. Can I get a good amen from Zach in the corner? Amen. Amen. We've been in a series called A Generous Life, and I'm going to continue that today on Father's Day. Two weeks ago, I talked about the principle of first and how our salvation experience is rooted in the concept of first. God gave his first. So first is very important. Last week, I spoke on uprooting the spirit of mammon. Who was here for that? That was, I thought that was a very insightful sermon. If you didn't get to watch it, go back, watch it online. Today, though, I want to look at what giving and fatherhood have in common. What giving, tithing, offering, what giving and fatherhood have in common. And in honor of Father's Day today, today's title is, It's Time for Tithes and Fathering. Not tithes and offering. It's time for tithes and fathering. All right. I want to start the sermon out, though, because I am a dad and I like jokes. I pulled a few dad jokes from the interwebs. Is that all right if we just start out with some dad jokes? I, I was looking up some last night just trying to finish this out and add a little something, something. And I laughed for a good hour just reading dad jokes. And I was like, that's too dumb for me to even say it. But I'm over here laughing so much. So we'll see if I can get through these dad jokes. What does a baby computer call his father? Dada. I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. My friend was showing me his tool shed and pointed to a ladder. He said, that's my step ladder. That's my step ladder, he said. I never knew my real ladder. Did, Did you know that your pupils are the last part to stop working when you die? They dilate. Of all the inventions in the last 100 years, the dry erase board has to be the most remarkable. I ordered... (laughs) It took me a while to get this, and then when I did, I felt really dumb, Jordan. I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. 
That one's a late bloomer. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? I'll let you know. That was really a dad joke. Uh, Ever since I started quarantining, I've only been telling inside jokes. (laughs) Okay, and this is my all-time favorite joke. A father tells his son that he was adopted. I want to meet my biological parents, the son demands. We are your biological parents, the father responds. Now pack up, the new ones will pick you up in 20 minutes. We don't get it. Father, we come before you today. God, I ask that you would be in this message. I thank thank you, God, that your spirit is here. God, I thank you that you have met us here today. You have come into this place uh, to encourage us, to renew our mind, to set us right, to set us straight. God, I ask that you would just speak to every man that is here, father or not, every woman that is here. Every child that is here, God, be with your word. Let it resonate in our soul today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen, amen. Amen. Our text today is Matthew chapter 23, so I hope you brought your Bibles. We're going to be flipping through uh, the book of Matthew today. Matthew 23 is a really heavy chapter that contains seven woes, W-O-E-S, And in this chapter, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we're only going to read four of the woes, not all seven. So you can go home and read the rest of the woes and and decipher them and pray about it and see what it means and how it applies to you. We're only going to talk about four of the woes. I presume when most people read Matthew chapter 23, they get to this section of scripture that we're going to read and you know, the seven woes, and they probably skip past it. They probably start to read it and think, ah, this doesn't sound very Jesus-y. Where's my happy Jesus at? Where's my kind Jesus at? Where's the nice, sweet, cuddly Jesus? I want to jump to that Jesus, because this Jesus in Matthew 23, uh, this ain't happy Jesus. This is wait till your dad gets home, Jesus. And so we go to Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 7 is the text that we're going to launch from this morning. Matthew 23, 1 through 7 says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice What they preach, they tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and tassels on garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Do you, do you sense in that first seven verses the tension? Eric, do you, just the tension. He's like talking to these people and he's kind of referencing publicly the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says they're not practicing what they're preaching. They want other people to carry the load, but they themselves don't want to lift the finger. They want the best seat at the banquet, but they're not willing to work in the kitchen. That's what Jesus is 
is saying. I can sense the tension building up in Jesus in this moment. Now, before in Matthew 23, Jesus was was privately criticizing the Pharisees, but here in this chapter, he is publicly criticizing the Pharisees. Now, he's going to have some harsh words here in a moment. The woes are like, whoa. When he says the seven woes to the Pharisees, you're going to read it and think, whoa, I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee. But even in those harsh words, we should keep in mind that there are some Pharisees in this day that this doesn't apply to. Jesus isn't talking, the word Pharisee doesn't mean you're bad. It means you're an expert in the law, all right? There are Pharisees in scripture that are seeking the kingdom. They are seeking Jesus. Great example is Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to meet with Jesus in the cover of night because he doesn't want everyone to know that he's meeting with Jesus. Do you remember that exchange in the Bible? Maybe you saw it on The Chosen. I personally believe that we're going to see Nicodemus in heaven, right? There's someone else in scripture, another Pharisee that I think was searching the kingdom, searching for the kingdom, Joseph of, of Arimathea. We find a few chapters later that, that that Pharisee offers to loan his tomb to Jesus. All right, so not all Pharisees are bad, but Jesus is talking to the ones that are, that are making very poor choices. They may be making burdens so heavy that others can't carry. And others are getting crushed by the burdens. Now, that's interesting. Jesus gives two examples here. He says, phylacteries and tassels. Turn to your neighbors and say, phylactery. Doesn't that just sound like a word that should be Charlie in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Charlie and the Chocolate Phylactery. Phylacteries and tassels. Now, if you're taking notes today, write down Deuteronomy 6 because you'll want to reference phylacteries. Uh, Phylacteries were boxes that they would tie on their forehead. Literally, the Jews would tie these on their forehead. Deuteronomy 6, God is saying, uh, fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. That's a phylactery. He literally was binding that to his forehead. Um, They took it literally. God wasn't being literal with that verse, but they took it literal. Um, In fact, they still do that today. You can go to Israel and you can see even today phylacteries. I think we have a picture here. They still do that today. You see the little phylactery right there. That's how it looks in more modern times. Then we have tassels. Scripture is talking about tassels. The women, remember the woman with the issue of blood, she reached out and touched the hem of Jesus garment. Um, Potentially there was a tassel. Maybe he was walking around with a tassel because the Jewish leaders of the day, uh, laws, uh, the legal experts and the Pharisees, they would have little tassels hanging from their outer garment. And today it looks like this. In modern times you wouldn't see massive tassels like pomegranates, but you may see these kinds of tassels just like that. So you see that that's not something that needs to be cut. If you see a man in Jerusalem walking with that on his shirt, don't cut it. You're not doing him a favor, all right? What he is doing is proclaiming to all of the onlookers how holy he is. If you see a little box on someone's forehead, they're not covering an incision because the doctor took off a wart. 
They're proclaiming to all the onlookers of just how holy they are. All right, the phylacteries and the tassels. So Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and how they're wanting to wear these big, massive boxes around, and they're wanting these big tassels so everyone knows how holy they are, but they're not really living up to the standard. Then Jesus comes in with the woes. So please stand in honor of the reading of the woes. Don't worry, we will go slow-mo with the woe. We find it in Matthew 23, verse 15. Uh, by the way, I'm not going through all seven woes. I'm only going through four of the woes. The other three are wonderful. But uh, get ready for angry Jesus, all right? Everyone ready for angry Jesus? Okay, don't worry. Don't take it personal. Don't start crying. Don't run out of church saying Jesus is mean, all right? We're going to read this together. We're going to walk through this. Matthew 23, verse 15 says, Woe to you! Teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Look at your neighbor and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can you, can you imagine that? You go to make a convert, and then you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Can you imagine Jesus saying that about you? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like hearing that. The Jews were out doing missions work, by the way. They were traveling, doing missions work. And Jesus is basically saying, you weren't actually trying to turn the heart of God toward people. You were trying to convert them to rules, to regulations, going up the ladder, getting people under your chain, your multi-level marketing scheme so you look like you're the top person. Instead of getting people into rules, you should be getting people into relationship. That's what Jesus is saying here. Legalism blocks us from God. Now listen, we're talking about tithing. Let's also say this. Legalism blocks us from God. If you make tithing legalistic, you're being blocked from the whole benefit of tithing. Thank you. Jesus wants us to pursue relationship, not rules. Ready for three more woes? Let's go. The next three woes are for the most part saying the same thing, but they're just as traumatic. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, you clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Next woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, 
On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Before you're seated, turn to three people and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You may be seated. We had to stand for the woes just to give it a, a bit of respect. Woe means grief, anguish, affliction, wretchedness, calamity, or trouble. Woe. Woe can be used in one of two ways, actually. It can be used in a form of compassion, and it can be used in a form of condemnation. Woe. For, for example, maybe some of you have lost a loved one, and you've carried some heavy woes, Right? You may not have said to your neighbor, oh, I'm really woeful today, but you were. That's what was going on. That was a, a compassionate woe. That's what you're carrying. Um, maybe you had a car accident. You come in, you tell someone about a car accident, and I say, whoa. That's a compassionate woe. That's not the woe that Jesus is saying right now. The woe that Jesus is saying is not necessarily condemnation, but it's certainly Judgment. Sometimes in the Bible, the suffering person has brought on their own woe. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever looked at the woe you're in and you thought, I, I really brought this on myself. I, I, I really want to whine about this. I really want to complain about this. But the truth is, I did it. I, I, I would say I deserve it, but that even feels a little bit harsh. Sometimes we do things that we don't really deserve, but... We just get the consequences of our choices and our actions, right? Sometimes in the Bible, the suffering person has brought on his or own woeful condition as a natural result of foolish choices, but more often in Scripture, woe is tied to sin and rebellion against God, and the resulting judgments are referred to as woes. Now, here Jesus pronounces seven woes. We read four of them. They're pretty heavy. They're pretty weighty. Imagine the king of the universe saying that about you. That's kind of a big, a big deal. There are three more that you can read. Jesus is pronouncing seven woes here on the hypocrites of his day. And then in Revelation, there are three more woes. When the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet sounds in the end of days, the final, the final end of the end of days, those are called the final three woes. So listen, there were seven woes back then. Those woes still apply to us today. But don't worry, we've still got three more woes coming. Whoa. The question is, will those woes apply to you or not? That's up to you, by the way. I don't believe the end is near. I believe the end is here. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but Jesus is coming soon. I believe with everything inside of me that Jesus is coming in my lifetime. I don't know when that is, but I believe that it's soon. And so I'm watching. I'm watching for his return. I'm not going to get caught off guard because I'm watching. I, I look around and I see what's going on in culture and in the world and the news and the headlines. And I see the Bible unfolding before me. And I don't know if that means I've got three more months, one more month, one more year, three more years. I, to be honest, I thought we were out of here in 2020. 
I thought for sure Scripture is revealing the end of days so rapidly we could not go another year. I don't know how we've gone three years. I can't imagine we could go much longer, to be honest, because prophecy is being fulfilled so rapidly. But if I'm still here 20 years from now, I'm still going to be saying the end is here because Scripture is fulfilling, being fulfilled so rapidly. I mean, a couple of examples for you. I don't have time to get into all of this, but man, this is my jam. I would love to. I would love to talk about the temple being rebuilt, the third temple that's prophesied in Scripture that talks about the end of days that has to be rebuilt um, for the end to actually come. They've already got the red red heifers lined out for that. They've already got the plans for the temple. They're already in training. They're training all the priests. It could go up in under a month. The temple could go up in under a month once they get the land for it. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Then you look at the nations. Oh my God, that is amazing. The Bible is very clear that the end of days coalition is going to include Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Well, they're in cahoots. Also, we can infer in Scripture that China is a major player in the end of days as well because there are kings from the east and armies from the east that are going to get involved. That's debatable, though. Don't get hung up on that if you disagree. But the reality is China is now coming up in the news, making more decisions, bigger player on the global scene. Iran, ironically, in 1948, when Israel was started, Iran and Israel were friends. They were friends. They were tied. They were buddies. I bet you didn't know that. Maybe, maybe you did. But it's unlikely, looking at the situation now, to ever think that they were friends. Because they are mortal enemies. Right? But when Scripture was written thousands of years ago, it described Iran and Israel. The Bible calls it Persia, but we know that is Iran. And it talks about what's going to happen between Persia and Rosh, or Russia, and Turkey, to Garma, all of these nations are now in formation for the end of days. And that was starting to come to pass in 2020, which for me was the signal of, oh, I remember the day I was in the pool in my backyard and the news broke on something and all of a sudden it just dawned on me like a ton of bricks. By golly, we're in the end days. Because I had known what prophecy said, but I hadn't really seen it in the news. I mean, five years ago, seven years ago, to look at what the end days would look like, you and I would have never imagined that we were even close to it. Now I can't ever imagine the end of days not being here. We're so close to a one world order, one world government. We're so close to a global power being the being able to rule by stopping your buying and selling. I mean, they did get us locked down for a good portion of 2020, but what's coming next is a one-world currency. And we're getting there. It's almost there. It doesn't need to be there, by the way, before Jesus returns, before the rapture happens. There's nothing that needs to happen before Jesus returns. He could return before I finish this sermon. That'd be great. We're there. So I watch. And for a moment in 2021, that's all that I did. I watched. I watched. I got up early and I would read Israel newspapers and I would 
read American newspapers and I would go online and I would see what's going on and I would read the Bible and I would try to figure out where we're at. And I'm, I would go and sit outside by my pool and I would look at the clouds and wonder which one he might be riding in on today. I knew how to watch, but I forgot to occupy. So today I watch and occupy. I keep watching, but if he's not coming today, I've still got to live my life. I've still got to be a dad. I've still got to be a husband. I've still got to be a leader. I've still got to save for retirement. Oh, good Lord. My luck, he's going to come the day before I die at 98 years old. Because I said he was going to come while I was still alive, but I've still got a plan for retirement. I've got a legacy to leave my kids and my grandkids and my grandkids' grandkids. Like, we've got to occupy. So you get married, and you go to college, and you buy that house. Not in this economy, but eventually, you buy that house. You keep living life while you're watching for Jesus to ride in on the cloud. You see, the church is really notorious for doing one or the other. we got a lot of watchmen that are just watching for Jesus to come back. And they're on YouTube 24... Uh, let me back up. I'm not trying to put anyone down because we all do this even not on YouTube. I did it in 2021. We spend all our effort watching that we forget to occupy. We forget to manage our finances. We forget to mow our grass. <laughs> Conveniently. Now this might be the day. I'm not going to clean that pool. Jesus might come back today. But I think there are probably fewer people that are just stuck in watching than there are in occupying. There are a lot of believers who are very caught up in just occupying, just taking territory, just, just thinking it's all about the here and now. And listen, your plans are great and you should occupy. But even more important than that, are you ready for the trumpet to sound? Are you ready for that moment for Jesus to say, this was the appointed time where I'm pulling my people up and we're going to glory together and we're going to have a, a banquet and a wedding feast? Are you watching and occupying? Because that is our goal. And if you do that, you won't see the three woes. The woes in Revelation won't apply to us if we know Jesus. When he returns. Thank you, Lord. Well, that's that's good. Jesus calls them a blind guide. I think that's one of my greatest fears. For me to get to heaven or even before I get to heaven, to have an angelic encounter, God send a message, that would be terrifying. And to be called a blind guide. Imagine that you were going to go to the most dangerous national park in America. You know which one that is. The Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon, the most dangerous National Park in America. Imagine that you were going there and you had a tour guide and the tour guide said to you, hold on tight. The terrain is rough. It's really dangerous. 
I'm going to be your tour guide, but hold on, I need to put on my blindfold first. A blind guide. Jesus said, you're professing to know the truth, but you are really blind yourself. He said, you give a tenth of your spices, of your dill, mint, cumin. Can you imagine going to your garden, if you have one, and sitting down by the cilantro, and every tenth leaf you set it aside. Can you just imagine? Rosemary bush. You're harvesting rosemary. Nine goes here, one goes to the house of the Lord. How tedious that is, but this is literally what the Pharisees were doing. They were taking great, great pride and pleasure in separating their dill and their communion and their mint. And they brought that so wonderfully to the house of the Lord. They're very calculated and made sure to follow it to a T. And Jesus says, don't be so concerned about the leaves that you forget justice and mercy. This is one of the most powerful tithing verses in the New Testament, by the way. Jesus says to them, you're doing all the tithing and you're doing that really accurate and you're really bought into it, but don't forget justice and mercy. Don't forget to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't forget these weightier, meatier things of the gospel. Notice, church, that Jesus doesn't say you should ignore tithing. He doesn't say to ignore it. Actually, quite the opposite. He says, don't forget it. Keep doing what you're doing. That's the easy part, Jesus said. That's the bottom rung Christianity. That's the bottom rung of obedience. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't, don't forget the dill and the cumin and the cilantro and the zucchini and the squash and the pineapple. Don't keep doing all of that. But don't forget justice and mercy. And he pulls that from Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So all the tithers in the house, you thought this tithing series was just to get everybody else to tithe, didn't you? I'm speaking to us too. We don't tithe just so that we tithe. We don't tithe and call our responsibility as a believer done. We don't count the leaves put the oregano in secure give and then pass the homeless person without a hug. Oh no. You must love justice, love mercy. Jesus says, well, inside and outside of the cup, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgent, blind Pharisee. Ritual cleanness, ritual cleanliness, that's what Jesus is addressing. So I want to be careful that in our tithing, we don't tithe so that we look ritually clean. You can tithe 10% and give another 10%. You can give 20% of your pay to the church and be on your way to hell. 
You can't pay your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. We don't, we don't tithe so that we look good to God. We tithe. The outside of our cup is clean because the inside of our cup is clean. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and we allow him to mold us and to shape us, tithing is the overflow of that interaction. The next woe, Jesus is talking about whitewashed tombs. In this picture of whitewashed tombs, you see that there's a tomb. It's been painted white. They would do that to the tombs before Passover so that any Jew that would pass the tombs before Passover, if they got too close to it, they wouldn't be considered unclean. They would paint them white so they looked nice and clean and they looked like, you know, not unclean. If you've ever read Leviticus, you've heard unclean a bazillion times. They would paint those white so that they would be careful not to be unclean. And what Jesus is referring to these pre-Passover paintings, he says, these memorials look great. They look extravagant. They look big. They look wonderful. But the truth is, on the inside, there is rotting, dying flesh. It's filled with dead men's bones. And in the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So let our tithing and our giving and our generosity not whitewash what's really going on inside of our heart. Allow Holy Spirit to sit with you wherever you are in whatever pain that you are currently in, whatever dysfunction you are currently in. Let's not whitewash it. Let's not pretend that it doesn't exist. Let's just trust God to sit with that and allow him to bring healing to it. Five things that giving and fatherhood have in common. I'm just getting to my points. But I knew that was the end of the sermon, so it's all right. We've walked through our text. We've explained it. We've talked about it. Holy Spirit has spoken to you in a way that makes sense to you. But I want to connect giving and fatherhood on our text today. Both giving and fatherhood point to God. Both point to God. I love how in our first woe, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees about making converts and then creating them to be sons of hell worse than they are. My giving and my fatherhood is not about getting anyone to be like me, look like me, do like me, act like me. I hope that my giving is an example to my family, but I don't give, I don't make a show of my giving just so that you'll give. My giving points to God. I give because that points to my connection, my relationship with him. And my fatherhood is not about getting my kids to act like me, look like me, dress like me, be like me. My fatherhood should be pointing to God. The goal isn't to replicate myself and my kids, it's to point them to Jesus. Both fatherhood and giving 
both of them build humility. Humility. When I give my tithe, when I bring my tithe and I give my offering, I have the opportunity to build humility in my life. And listen, I know that you don't think you deal with pride, but we all deal with pride. Every single person deals with pride. In fact, the person who thinks they don't have pride generally has it the worst. But through my giving, through my generosity, and through my obedience in the tithe, it allows humility to flourish in my life. And there is nothing that will humble you more than being a dad. Fatherhood will definitely humble you. Especially when you have to correct your kid for doing something that you know they got from you. Anyone ever been there or is that just me? Both fatherhood and giving can be done for a show. On the outside, it can look like you're doing the right thing, but the Lord looks at the heart. I think of 1 Samuel when Samuel was looking for a king. And we're told that God doesn't look at people like people looks at people. People look on the outside, but God looks inward at the heart. You can give and you can show up at the barrels and you can give on your app and you can be generous, give the homeless person food and hand out the ice cold bottle of water so the whole stream of cars behind you sees and you can make a grand show of it, but the Lord sees your motives. The Lord sees your heart. Both fathering and giving can be done extravagantly. When I was growing up, there was a saying, and I'm sure it predates Trey. But I heard it so much, I never said it growing, you know, when I became an adult. I didn't say it because it was overused. But now that I'm older, I look back and I like the saying. And it says, you can't. Can anyone finish the sentence with you can't? That's how old it got. Everybody knows. You can't outgive God. Like, it's just a saying. I heard it so much, I, I wouldn't say it when I got older because I'm like, oh, we've kind of overused that. Let me give it some new language. But that actually is the truth. You can't outgive God. And, and my family used to say, but it sure is fun trying. It sure is fun trying to outgive God, just trying to bless people every time you run into them, people that you see being obedient in the tithe and then seeing how much more I can give in my offering. I, yeah, I can't outgive God, but it sure is fun to try. Both can be done extravagantly. We can do the bottom rung of 10%. That's just kind of expected, to be quite honest, but God wants more from you. God wants you to give to the person at your work. God wants you to give to the person at lunch today. Like God just wants you to think in terms of generosity, just being generous because that's who you are. That's how you flow. Both can be done extravagantly. And then finally, both can have two driving forces. Both fatherhood and giving can be born out of law or born out of grace. I can tithe because I feel like it's my duty and my obligation or I can tithe because I understand that God has so richly blessed me. Why wouldn't I? I can tithe because I understand this belongs to God. Why wouldn't I? I can be generous with others because I understand in legacy and how legacy is created. 
I can also be a father and be a dad out of law. I'm legally required to make sure you have food in your mouth. Oh, I thought Jordan was there. Even there's a limit with that. There's a limit how much I'm legally required, Jordan. Box number seven of cereal on the third day, too much. Too much. Jordan likes to eat. Will you stand with me today? Speaking of being extravagant in our giving, I, I really want to thank you guys, the Exchange Church. I am, I am increasingly blessed by just the amount that you give. But anyone notice the Huggies, the mountain of Huggies out as you were coming in? We've done, we started that, Paul, how long ago? Five, six weeks ago, five weeks ago, and Increasingly, the mountain of Huggies is getting bigger, and that's going to be going to uh, Agape Pregnancy Center, Planning Center. Is that correct? Pregnancy Center for moms that are choosing life. And I believe we know as Christians uh, that God knew us in the womb before we were even formed. He knew us. And there are moms that are in the decision point of what to do with their child. And if we as a church believe and fight for life, then that means that you and I have to put our money where our mouth is. And we got to help single moms and we got to get diapers and we got to get formula and we got to be a support to people. We can't, just, we can't just shout our belief without walking out our belief. And that's what we're doing out there with all the huggies. Why huggies? Because that's what the girls request and they do some kind of reward there with huggies. And we're doing, help me out, babe. What are we doing? Infant girls, summer clothes, sizes. It's on the page out there. You can look at certain sizes. But you guys are doing that. And I, I've, I've been so blessed every time I get to church and I just see more huggies that are there, more diapers on the table. It's amazing. I was so blessed last week when I saw you guys eating tacos after church. So many people eating breakfast tacos after church. Now, maybe because the preacher preached too long and everyone was starving and couldn't wait to get to lunch. But the money from those tacos, I think we raised around $400, which paid for almost one. That would be one full scholarship for someone that needs to get to camp. Like that's, come on, that's amazing. And those tacos were good. They were good. $400. Now today we have coffee cake out there and I'm, I haven't paid yet, but I did find a slice. I haven't donated, but I found a slice. So I'm going to donate, I promise. Lord, I, I really promise I'm going to donate. But I think it's a couple bucks, maybe. I don't know, whatever your donation could be. That, that cake, I don't know who made it, but it is amazing. It's delicious. I'm going to buy a few more. I'm going to buy the one I already ate, and I'm going to buy a few more. But we do this not... Not just so we can eat good food. We do this because we're a generous people. We want students to get to camp. 
and students are putting in the effort and that's what generosity looks like. Generosity doesn't always look like us coming up to a barrel. Sometimes it looks like us huddled around the well just eating cake with crumbs all over our lips laughing and having a good time because we're generous people and we give our resource to these kids. In fact, July 1st, it's a Saturday night. We have parents night out. 6 to 9 p.m. for any kids, I, I don't know what age, probably you have to have been born. <laughs> Maybe not nursing. I don't know. But if you, if you are ready for a date night with your significant other, maybe you're a single parent and you just need a break, you need to go do something, drop your kids off here. They're asking for $30 for the first child, $15 every child after. Um, that money, 100%, is going to go to get kids to camp. So if you can't, if you can't afford to come to parent night, um, talk to somebody. Let's work together. We got people in this church that don't have kids that will help fund you to get your kids here so that you guys can have a parent's night. We'll do a fundraiser for you to get to the fundraiser to help the kids to get to camp. That's just the generous church that we are. I'm, I'm not kidding. You think, man, I've got, I've got 15 kids. Well, there are more problems than just money. We need to have a talk. I know what's causing that. You know, if you've got a lot of kids and can't afford, talk to us. Let us. Don't just assume that you can't do something or participate in something. We are a church and we rally together and we get people where they need to go. So the first Saturday night, 6 to 9 p.m., we're going to have our youth team here, our leaders and some volunteers. These kids are going to get to camp because we're generous. Father, I come before you today. God, I thank you on Father's Day that you're such a good God. I thank you that you are the perfect example of a father. And God, each and every one of us, we're imperfect. We, we actually are not perfect just the way we are. We like to tell ourselves that. We like to encourage others, but we are imperfect. And that's okay. Because your grace fills in the gaps. Your grace covers us. Father, I ask, God, I ask that you continue to grow the men at the Exchange Church, that you would grow our character, that you would grow our integrity, that you would grow provision in our family, in our homes, that you would open doors of opportunity. God, that you would grow our wisdom, our discernment in the name of Jesus. God, that you would grow our joy. You would grow our ability to say, I love you. You would grow our vulnerability. God, you would grow our desire to connect with other men, to connect with families, to connect with the house of the Lord. God, you would grow our commitment. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Well, happy Father's Day. One more time, can we give it up for our dads in the house? Don't forget, if you're invested in the Exchange Church, if you are what I call a stakeholder, meaning you value the church and the future of the church, we invite you to Vision Night this Wednesday from 6 to 7 p.m. Carrie and I and the team are going to be talking where we're at, all the numbers you ever want to hear, uh, strategies that we're employing and deploying. We love you guys. Thank you for being here. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.